The following program, Chicago's Weekend Wake-Up Call, is sponsored by the Digital Wellness Center and to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of NewsWeb Radio Company or its management. Good morning, lovely listeners. Happy Saturday. Today... I want to talk to you about a very radical proposal that I put out on LinkedIn. Let's cancel Valentine's Day. Yep, you heard me right. I'm campaigning for Valentine's Day to be stopped altogether. For our mental health, it is time to outlaw it. Maybe we can even form a government committee to deliberate on it. And we know that then it will never happen, at least in Canada. What do you think, Rich? Well, good morning, everyone. Um, <laughs> after seeing your newsletter, I was in class and I saw the newsletter. I was like, "Whoa, that is such a that's such a strong post." And you know, when I thought about it as I read the newsletter, I was like, "You know what? You brought off a couple of good points." And you know, it's it's um, at times a very stressful time. So I. I, I can agree with that. I can agree with that for sure. I can agree with you on that. I don't know that your fiance will, but that's all. I don't think story. so. <laughs> she she'll still want something. Story. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, that's the whole thing that I want to definitely shake it up. I think, you know, it's totally lost its charm. We have to rethink Valentine's Day. It's become too commercialized and it often leads to way more stress than love. And my husband and I decided to skip it all together a few years ago. And let me tell you, it's been a total breath of fresh air. Wow. That sounds like a healthier approach for sure. Um, how, like, do you agree about, um, like, how did you come to that proposal after you and your husband? How did that work out? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's... It, I'm always talking about digital mental health. I'm always mm -hmm. talking about how we can be healthier, live our lives, be in the moment, and be present. And I don't want to say authentic because we're always authentic. That's the most ridiculous use of a word I've ever heard. How can you be anything but authentic? You're just being you, whether you're being a fake you or a real you. Mm -hmm. What happened is I had great expectations for Valentine's Day. And he <laughs> forgot Valentine's Day. Not once, not twice. And so it started out as a joke because both of us got angry at my reaction. I got mad at his reaction. And then eventually we realized that we just didn't need a Valentine's Day. So I guess I woke up Thursday morning and thought, hey, why don't I, you know, before Valentine's Day, write a funny newsletter suggesting maybe Valentine's Day should be banned. And I posted it on LinkedIn. But then people really started emailing me about it and thinking about it. And, you know, in one poignant example, a very dear friend of mine recently lost his wife to cancer. Mm -hmm. And he was all in. Like, Valentine's Day just brings up horrible memories for him. And I never thought about that when I, brought, when I wrote the article. What I was thinking about is the stress right after the holidays of having to invest more in a present. How about when you're dating someone and you're just dating? You're not madly in love. You're just 
dating. But then there's this pressure for Valentine's Day and then try and get a reservation on Valentine's Day. So instead of feeling pressured to express our love on one specific day, I thought, what if we turned it around? What if we start showing our appreciation and our affection throughout the year? I love that. I 100% love that. And I would love to reach out to our listeners. Do you guys agree with Dr. Mary's proposal? Or do you think Valentine's Day should stay the same? Please call. We'd love to hear your your answers. Please call at 773-763-9278. So please share your thoughts on if Valentine's Day should be canceled. But Dr. Mary, you brought up such a great point. And I'm pretty sure a lot of guys, including myself, have forgotten (laughs) Valentine's Day. And, you know, we're always trying to scramble of something at the end. But the pressure is so real. It really is. And there's a huge expectations expectation from um I would say from the from the lady side of for the for us to for guys to, you know, do something nice and, you know, really good to celebrate it. It it does take a it, it you do feel that pressure for sure. Heck, I even met my fiance for the first time. As I said, we we met on hinge. Um, the first time we physically met each other was, I think, a day before Valentine's Day. And so, you know, the first time I met her, I brought her flowers, everything, like, just to, um, you know, to make her feel like, oh, she's my Valentine. I actually had to ask her to be my Valentine, you know. I wasn't really <laughs> thinking about it because I was like, oh, this is the first time we're meeting. You know, we talked for a bit, but, <laughs> you know, it's it was just funny. But, yeah, you brought up so many good points. You know, Rich, I'm looking forward for people to call in or text at 773-763-9278. But I think part of what we're going to talk about today is with one of my favorite guests, of all times, Andrea Andrea Sampson, who is the CEO and president of Talk Boutique. And what she's going to teach us, and she runs Thought Leadership Academy, she does tons of things, is to do what I just did, how to tell your own story, how to get your point across, but how to do it in a way that it brings people together instead of, in most cases today, pushing people away. And that's one of the points that I'm trying to make with Valentine's Day is no matter who you love, whether it's, you know, a partner, whether it's you're alone and you just need to love yourself on Valentine's Day, whether it's a pet, it could be a goldfish, whatever it is, you need to start looking at all the nice things you can do with that person on all of the days of the year. But let's just start with Valentine's Day and rethink how we interact with people, whether that means saying something nice online, whether it means um, being nice to someone on the street and holding a door open for someone or, you know, buying a coffee for someone. We're going to get into the neuroscience behind what being altruistic, helping others, doing something for others means to your brain, what it means to your body and what it means to your mood. But before that, I want to make sure that we're in the right mood for this because I see that we're getting some fantastic texts. And what I would love to do is Devin can just play a binaural beat. We're going to just chill for about 30 seconds. 
And then we're going to come back and we're going to read some of these amazing texts and uh, we'll talk a little bit about them. Welcome back, folks. We've got some fantastic Valentine's Day stories for our, from our listeners. Let's jump right into it. So the first text message we got was from Dara. Um, and she says, my worst Valentine's Day memory was when I accidentally set off the fire alarm walls attempting to cook a fancy dinner for my partner. Talk about a mood killer. <laughs> well, Dara, that sounds like quite the adventure, but at least you have a memorable short story to, to share. And um, I've, you know, I've, I have not done that on Valentine's day, but as I've shared with our listeners before, I'm the worst cook in the world. So please it's, <laughs> don't worry about it. And maybe next time do what I do, just order takeout. And that way there's a little less risk of setting off an alarm. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with you on that. I stay away from the cooking. I'm just like, okay, we got to do something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something new. <laughs> we have another text message from, Yasmin, um, my best Valentine's Day was when my partner surprised me with a handwritten love letter and a, bou- a bouquet of my favorite flowers. It was such a thoughtful gesture that made me feel truly cherished. That's so beautiful, Yasmin. Like sometimes it's it's a simple gestures that mean the most. Um, your partner definitely knows how to melt hearts. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, I, I think so too. Yeah, you know that reminds me of um, <laughs> what I did for la- like my for last Valentine's Day. I and I don't know if it was cheap of me, but I went to Costco to go get my fiance flowers, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, you know what? The flowers will last longer if like they're not they haven't bloomed yet. <laughs> so <laughs> I bought flowers that. I, that looked like it hasn't like bloomed yet, so I just gave it to my fiance. I was like, "Oh, you, I can't wait for the flowers to bloom. It's gonna last for a long time. She can keep it." Not knowing that those flowers were—I I can't remember what they were called—but they—they um, they never bloomed. It, it was just meant to be like that. And I was like, "Well, <laughs> oh my goodness, that sucks." <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> not, not a good moment for me, but uh, my fiance was happy about it. <laughs> of course, and now she'll remember those flowers that never bloomed forever. She'll, she'll be like uh, Yasmin, or sorry, uh, Dara. Yeah, That's funny. Um, oh, there's a funny one here. My Valentine's Day plans got completely derailed when I got stuck in traffic for hours on the way to pick up my date. Oh, my gosh. Needless to say, it wasn't the romantic evening I had envisioned. Okay, Paul, that's a nightmare. I totally feel your pain. Traffic is terrible. Yeah. Uh, You know, good for you. You showed up. (laughs) (laughs) Better late than never, right? 
Yeah, 100%. Oh, my gosh, that's wonderful. This is great. Yeah. Oh, there's one more. Okay, so from Neil, he says, For Valentine's Day, my partner and I decided to skip the traditional dinner date and instead went on a spontaneous road trip to a nearby beach. It was the perfect mix of adventure and romance. Okay, that's such a great idea. Thanks for the heads up. Um, Sometimes stepping out of the ordinary can lead to the most unforgettable experience. I really like that. Thanks for sharing, Neil. Yeah, I like that too. And, you know, in Chicago, you've got that beautiful lake as we do here in Toronto. Um, Oh, here's a cool text message. It's from Bella. I celebrated Valentine's Day solo this year with a cozy night in, complete with my favorite movies and a pint of ice cream. It was the ultimate, mm, sounds good, ultimate self-care evening, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. Way to go, Bella! Self-love is just as important as romantic love, and that's what I was talking about on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Keep embracing those solo celebrations. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's kind of... It's kind of funny, like, when you think of Valentine's Day, you think of a couple. Um, but I tend to forget that, as you, the point that you raise, you rose, not everyone is in a relationship and not, and, you know, self-love is so important. So something that we can always do, not only that for that specific day, but to, um, but every day. There's, I even heard of a thing called Galentine, Galentine Day. Um, oh, it's yeah. when a, a bunch of um, ladies just go out together to like treat themselves and stuff like to be their own Valentines. And I thought that was such a cool, uh, cool thing to hear. Like that was very different. That came from a TV show. Uh, It was the community, something community that starred uh, the fella who went back on to um, star in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was a TV show. It was back in 2012, I think. It's uh, it's very interesting. I think that's a wonderful idea. Tons and tons of fun. Um, oh, here's one uh, from Crystal. My partner and I decided to try something new for Valentine's Day this year and took a virtual cooking class together. It was such a fun and interactive way to spend time together, even from a distance. What a great idea. I did um, a piece about two years ago on how to maintain a long-distance relationship. And one of the things that we suggested to do was things like virtual cooking classes together. And um, way to go, Crystal. Like Way to think out of the box, I guess. What a creative idea. What do you think, Rich? Would you do that? Yeah, for sure. Um, as I said, I met my fiance during um, COVID, so it was very hard to to see each other. So what we used to do, we didn't do the virtual cooking. I I, I actually wish I came up, I passed by that idea because that would have been something cool. But we usually we used to watch movies on Netflix. Um, you remember the Netflix party where you can share yeah. your yeah? We used to do that, and that would be like our our date night or um, yeah, just watch movies together and then we'll communicate through uh, FaceTime or just video calls or maybe just text each other what was going to happen. It was such a cool moment and to spend time with her, even though it was, it was virtual. You know, I love hearing all those ideas. And um, for hundreds of years, people have been separated on occasions. And they used to write letters, beautiful romantic letters. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, now we have FaceTime and it's wonderful. And I loved that Netflix created those watching parties. And, 
you know, it just sort of sums up those unique Valentine's Day stories and what, you know, none of them costs a ton of money. Mm -hmm. So whether you're flying solo or celebrating with a partner, just the goal of the silliness of saying abolish Valentine's Day is to remember to cherish the moments and spread love. So text call at 773-763-9278-773-763-927-9278. I don't know why I can't remember that <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but maybe we should shift gears right now. Um, and we'll definitely read your stories. Continue to send them in or call them in. Love that. But let's maybe do something else. What do you think, Rich? Yeah, for sure. Let's, as you said, focus on spreading the kindness and love into our community. So why don't you take it away, Dr. Mary? Uh, Well, I definitely think that part of the problem is expectations. Mm -hmm. And that's caused by the commercial aspects of Valentine's Day. And we see this on all all major holidays. Like we've really, and social media amplifies this, fallen into this commercial idea of a holiday. So maybe, and I propose this, why not use this month to begin to prioritize acts of kindness and generosity? Absolutely, Dr. Mary. Could you tell our listeners a bit about the science behind kindness and how it can positively impact our mental health? Of course, of course, Rich. Um, Kindness has a profound effect on our well-being, both physically and mentally. If you think about it, you could look to any mammal and watch physically what happens when they're kind. Um, You can see dogs and their tails wag. You can see horses and their ears go up. You can see kittens. You can see anything. But what's interesting about that is research shows that acts of kindness trigger the release of, and we've talked about this a hundred times, oxytocin, often referred to as the love hormone, which promotes feelings of trust and connection and overall happiness. It's really what brings our souls joy. Oh, I love that. That's so fascinating. You know, it kind of reminds me of... uh... Um, I think of a time where I bought my fiance's flowers when she was going through, she was going through a stressful time at school and when she was in school and um, I just bought it for her uh, because I wanted her to feel good. But it's so funny. She associated, she's like, it's not Valentine's day. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh no, I'm just trying to, you know, make sure that you're okay. And I'm th- that I'm thinking about you, but it made her day and she never forgets about it till today. Oh, that's so fun. And and so what you just did is you were kind and you were kind in the moment. And kindness is also released to the to the dopamine um, in your brain. So that's the feel-good neurotransmitter, which can create a sense of satisfaction and euphoria and just, oh, 
Wow, that's wonderful. And, you know, there's some great research out of Cedar sinai that shows that acts of kindness have been shown to increase serotonin levels, and that regulates our mood and our stress. So there's three major chemicals in the brain, and one of the things that we're talking about today is dopamine. And when your dopamine's too high, you're angry, and when your dopamine's too low, you're apathetic. And so what you have to do is get your serotonin moving through it. And, you know, that's what we do at the Digital Wellness Center. We use micro breaks to get serotonin running so that your dopamine balances. But, you know, if you want to think about it, it's your waves are going too high, your waves are going too low in your brain. And when you get your serotonin in there, it's an easy way to just say, okay, there's a lot less wind, so everything calms down. And that's what we mean by regulating your mood and reducing stress. So the next time you're angry... Go do something nice for someone else. And you'll begin to see how this has such a powerful effect. During World War II, Alfred Adler put this forward. And what happened is there were there was a man who came home from the war and he was really angry about losing both his legs. And he was seeing Dr. Adler. Dr. Adler said to him, Yes, you have lost your legs. Yes, it is terrible. But you have your life. How are you going to use your life? Why don't you do this? Why don't you spend eight hours a day feeling sorry for yourself and then spend two hours a day writing letters to people who are still on the front or people who have lost limbs or just telling them how you feel and how you feel being home and asking them how they're feeling. And if you can't do it for two hours, do it for one hour. So that was his prescription. It wasn't drugs. It wasn't anything. And so this man began to, you know, reluctantly write one letter a day. And then he wrote two letters a day. And then he wrote four and eight. And he ended up writing hundreds and hundreds of letters a year as his therapy. And he brought joy to so many other people. But at the same time, he began to get rid of that anger. He began to feel less stressed. And he ended up getting a great job, believe it or not. And he, he credits Dr. Adler with helping him increase his serotonin levels. Now, that's not what he said. But um, what I'm saying is it's amazing that this has been around for almost 100 years and yet we're still not using it to balance our emotional well-being. That's so incredible. Like, um, I can't believe something as simple as being kind, as, as you were saying that for him writing one letter and it just keep growing can be such a pow- can have such a powerful effect on just the mental health and, and emotional well-being. Well, and that's what happens when, you know, we start to see it on social media. We start to see it in the content we put out there. And I'm excited to talk to Andrea about this because she does a lot of beautiful content on LinkedIn. And um, she curates great content on LinkedIn. And she actually has a course on how to use LinkedIn um, positively. And so um, as we get ready to welcome Andrea to our wonderful show, Digital Wellness with Dr. Mary. Please feel free, call us 773-763-9278 if you have questions for Andrea that you already have thought about. But as we just go to, excuse me, a quick break for 30 seconds, let's just refocus our brains with a 
a, a creative binaural beat. Devin's going to play for 30 seconds, and we're going to come back, and we're going to do a no-Valentine's Day quiz and see where you stand with it. So call us, text us, get ready for Andrea Sampson, CEO and president of Talk Boutique, and let's just take a quick break. Welcome back, everyone. Before I'm the break, glad everyone's here. Now, let's. I've got the quiz ready, Richardson. Awesome. I'm going to run the quiz this week. Okay. But I am going to ask you and Andrea. Andrea, are you there? We're excited you're here. Welcome. Thank you. I'm here. Hi, Andrea. <laughs> are you wanting to play our yes. quiz with us? Of course, always. Okay, this is awesome. And and listeners, just so you know, Andrea and I have been friends for years. She's actually been my speaking coach for almost 10 years now. Hasn't it been that way, Andrea? Yeah, it's been a while. It's been, it's been uh, yeah. a long time. <laughs> a long time. It's been a minute, as someone said uh, the other day. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, Richardson and Andrea, are you ready? Oh, yes. So oh, choose- yeah, I am. <laughs> Choose the answer that best describes your feelings towards Valentine's Day. Do you cringe at the sight of heart-shaped chocolates and oversized teddy bears in stores? (laughs) Yes, is A, every year without fail. And B, no, I secretly love them. Hmm. Uh, Andrea, I'll let you take the lead on this one. <laughs> so for me, I, I cringe. I, I, I hate the commercialism of Valentine's Day. I, you know, I love the celebration of love. I have nothing against that at all. But I don't think we need teddy bears and hearts to do that. <laughs> yeah. I agree on that, actually. I agree on that. Um, I personally don't really know what the purpose of having a big teddy bear is. Like, <laughs> if I purchase it, I don't know what I'm gonna, we're going to do with it. It's usually just put off to the side, and it's like you keep buying more and more and more of it. I don't know. I just, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I, I don't think I've, you know what? I have had teddy bears given to me, and I, I thought it was very sweet. So uh, it was a very nice, nice gesture. But here's our next question. This is a little more difficult. Have you ever used the term single awareness day unironically? A, yes, it's my go-to Valentine's Day joke. <laughs> B, no, I prefer to keep my sarcasm to myself. <laughs> hmm. I don't think I've ever used that ever. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't think I even know what it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had I had to give that some thought. I'm like, singles awareness day. What is that? Oh my god, right, that's me. <laughs> that's like, right. I had to take a minute on that one. 
but uh, I've never used it. Um, you know, it's funny. Valentine's Day holds so little meaning for me as a person who is single. I, it, it's not something that I, I even think about a whole lot. It, you know, it comes and goes, and I'm like, oh, look, it's the 14th. It's Valentine's Day. So I've never used it, and, uh, and I kind of have, like, I have no, no opinion on it at all. Awesome. So here, you've just, I think, over, you've answered the next question, which is, how do you feel about the pressure to find the perfect romantic gesture on Valentine's Day? <laughs> A, overwhelmed. It's impossible to live up to the hype. B, excited. I love the challenge of planning a romantic surprise. You know, I'll, I'll just jump in, you know. We're going to talk about story in a little bit, and of course, I'm I'm a storyteller. You know that about me, Mary. And the thing for me, and, and, and if I think about Valentine's Day and what was my most memorable one, was a few years ago when my daughter and her partner chose to surprise me with a homemade dinner when I got home from from work one one Valentine's Day, and you know, so from you know that pressure to create a romantic gesture. I think it's important to recognize that, you know, that can come from people who aren't, you know, your partners or your lovers. I mean, my daughter chose to do that for me as an act of kindness, which, you know, is so impactful and beautiful. So, you know, I don't stress about having, because again, I don't have a partner in my life, but sometimes I celebrate it with my cats. And so we just have a nice night in. See, I love that. I love it. Absolutely love that. So you just answered our last question. What's your ideal Valentine's Day activity? A, watching (laughs) Netflix with a pint of ice cream or being with your cats or being with your dogs or B, a candlelit dinner with my significant other. Mm -hmm. This one's for you, Rich. (laughs) I would just love to watch Netflix with a pint of ice cream with (laughs) my fiance. I don't really care too much um, about doing something fancy. I just love to spend time with people I love. It doesn't even have to be with my fiance. Just spend time with friends and family. Like I, as I said, I, the pressure is kind of too much. I feel like you can do that um, throughout the whole year. If you're thinking about someone, you can just reach out to them. And be like, hey, you want to go hang out? Want to go eat something? You know, it doesn't have to be big. So. And Richardson, you just sort of summed up our Valentine's Day quiz. Of course, these are just silly, lighthearted interpretations that help us just warm Andrea up so that she's ready for all of our questions. And because there's no right or wrong day way to feel about Valentine's, if you answered mostly A, you're probably a strong advocate for the no Valentine's Day movement. You're probably not a fan of commercialization of aspects of any holidays. And you are rewriting that commercialization. So way to go. And if you're B, you're probably a darling romantic. You're inclined to embrace Valentine's Day traditions. You love celebrating romance and love. And you lead the way for all those of us who don't. And we look to you and we're like, you know, that was a really good idea. Like your daughter cooking dinner for you, Andrea. And so, you know, Our listeners, when you listen to that quiz, know nothing is wrong 
you just want to be sure that you and your mind are telling your own story, which is a lovely segue to the president and CEO of Talk Boutique, who not only trains TEDx talkers, can teach you how to use LinkedIn and has a wonderful product called Thought Academy, Andrea Sampson. Andrea, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Mary. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Oh, we are like, I just really, I want to sort of just jump in. I, I, you have such an interesting job and I really haven't found too many people that do what you and your team do. How did you fall into the world of storytelling and thought leadership and, and, and tell us what they are? Sure. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting story. I tell stories, but I, I did not, you know, uh, start off as a child going, gee, I hope that I can be a speaker's coach one day. In fact, I didn't even know what a speaker's coach was until a few years ago. You know, I, I, start, I spent most of my career working in advertising, working for some of the world's largest agency networks on top of the world's most recognizable brands. And what I did, I was a strategist and a brand planner. I, you know, was very successful in advertising. But, you know, as a time went on, and even when I got into advertising, I had this belief that I could actually create impact in the world. And one day, you know, 20-odd years in, I kind of realized I was an idealist in the capitalist world. And I had to make a change. And I just didn't know what to do, quite frankly. I Here I was, you know, working on some really incredible things, but I wasn't fulfilled. And so I started, like, just kind of looking around at different things and found myself at a, a TEDx conference. And this was in the very, very early days of the TEDx brand. You know, TED had been around for a long time. I was an incredible fan of it and um, was was uh, lucky enough to be able to go to a TEDx event. In those days, you used to have to apply. And at the end of that event, I, I was sitting um, just in awe of what I had just witnessed. I mean, the event itself was well-organized. The speakers were incredible. And I was blown away. And, you know, that was easy. I, like, with the work that I did, I knew a lot about a lot. And so... I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this this is amazing. And I'm talking to my colleague who was sitting beside me, and um, somebody in front of us turned around, and she said, you know, this is all volunteer-driven. And I was like, what? You've got to be kidding me. This was incredible, which just kind of increased my my the impact of what I had just witnessed. And I immediately went online and put my name down to volunteer. I thought, I don't know when they're doing this again, but I want to be a part of it. And lo and behold, I got hired as a speaker's coach. I didn't even know what a speaker's coach was. But, you know, my job in advertising meant that I presented pretty much all day, every day. That was my job. I did a lot of primary and secondary research. So I was constantly um, looking at consumer behaviors and why we make the buying decisions we make. And so I was in front of an audience all the time. I thought, oh, you know, no problem. I, I'm sure with a little bit of training, I'll be fine. Well, what started off as this little idea uh, turned into a passion for me because a couple of things really came to light for me. One was I absolutely love working with people who are creating impact in our world. And, and you know, I wanted to do more of that because it showed me in those early days and 
of course, today, even more so, that our world, there's so much good happening in our world, and we just don't get to hear it. You know, unfortunately, it's not great news when good things happen. It's much better news, I think, when bad things happen. So we often don't get to see that. And the second thing that happened for me is I learned I had this unique skill. You know, I had to, in the in the work that I was doing, take large swatches of data and synthesize it down into what we called core insights. And what I learned was that was the exact skill that I needed to be a speaker's coach because I was working with scientists and academics and technologists and artists whose life work had to be distilled down into less than 10 minutes. And I could do that. And it was the beginning of what is now not only a career, but a passion. I love that. So, you know, you started telling us distilling stories down to 10 minutes, all of that. What are the key ingredients of a compelling story? So, you know, over the years, this is something that I've come to learn quite quite intimately. When I was in advertising, we told stories all the time. But quite frankly, no one ever taught me how to tell a story. And when I look back at my career, you know, and I'm sure, you know, our listeners can can all associate to this. You know, you get up in front of an audience and you tell, you give your presentation, you know, maybe you're at the front of a boardroom, maybe you're at the front of a, an auditorium. And, you know, sometimes it's great. Everyone's engaged. And other times, yeah, it's a bit wah-wah, you know, like, well, it was okay. Um, I got it across, but it wasn't my best. And why? Well, because in those days, I didn't know how to tell a story. I told stories. I told stories all the time but I didn't know how to tell a story. And today, that's what I know really intimately. I know how to tell a story. And really, the, there are really five key elements to telling a story. I like to call this uh, the story spine. And there's a, a, a sixth element that lives in it, and I'll come back to that in a moment. So the first element is the environment. Where is that story taking place? You know, today, we're on a call-in show on a Saturday morning. Here in Toronto, it's beautiful and sunny. You know, it's cool, but not freezing cold like January usually, or or February, sorry, February usually is. You know, you can feel um, the anticipation in the air for the upcoming Valentine's Day. That's an environment. Notice what I did there. I gave you a sense of what it looks like in my world. I used emotional language. I brought you into the moment. So the environment isn't from the outside, it's your inside of that environment describing it in the first place. Why do we do that? Because we're creating an emotional connection with our listeners. What we want is that environment to be encompassing and immersive for them as well as for us. Number two, who's in that story? In our little story today, it's you and me and Richardson. So Mary, Richardson, and Andrea, good name. Small backstories. Mary, Dr. Mary, uh, a, a world-renowned neuro, you know, uh, uh, social scientist based in neuroscience. Richardson, um, I don't know a lot about you, Richardson, but I'm going to say <laughs> that you are, uh, you know, a lover of love and somebody who asks great questions. And of course, you know a little bit about me already. So characters have short backstories. Number three, what's the 
the, the issue or the opportunity that's happening. Now, this is the reason we're telling a story. And most storytellers or unskilled storytellers start with that issue or opportunity. You know, the other day this thing happened. Resist the seduction to do that. You want to bring your audience into that issue or opportunity. Stories can be about bad things or stories can be about good things or stories can be about surprising things. So what is your story? What is the reason you're telling that story? So what's the environment? Who are the characters? What's the issue or the opportunity that that story is about? Now, the next one is the piece that really makes the difference between a story where you're like, oh, that's interesting, and one where I can't wait to hear what's next. And that's what we call the raising of the stakes. This is the tension point in the story. I like to say it's the and-then moment. So maybe you've just revealed, you know, the issue or the opportunity. They were getting together to talk about um, Valentine's Day. The and-then moment might be, and just as I dialed the number, my cat decided to jump up and completely spill and break the coffee machine. Knocked it all over, everything. And I'm about to go on a call-in show. And now my entire kitchen is flooded with coffee. My cat is racing around the house, and I need to show up. Smart and capable. So <laughs> that, that is an and-then moment. You raise the stakes on the audience. You bring them in, and they want to know what happened. Now, you can conclude the story there. You would go to an outcome. But here's the thing. If you're telling that story as a way to create context or an idea that you want to convey, and this is the sixth piece to good stories, is that they have a point. What you do is you build your idea right at that end-then moment. So in that moment of living in my, my condo with a flooded kitchen full of coffee and a cat going crazy, I, you know, this is where I could deliver an idea that says, because when you are getting, when you are showing up as a thought leader, you need to know your stuff so well that no matter what's happening around you, your focus is never altered because your audience is counting on you to deliver for them something of value. And that's the impact that you create in the world. So that is a story, starting with the environment, the characters, the issue or the opportunity, the losing of the stakes, and then inserting an idea right in there. And then the outcome, I showed up. A little bit worse for wear, but my audience never knew it unless I told them that story. I love that because what you also just talked about was great sales. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, this I mean, is the, the way you sell an idea. Absolutely. I think all of us, whether we're in a job interview, whether we're um, – talking to someone, whether we're looking to get a promotion, whether we're switching jobs, needs to remember the environment. Who's in that story? What's the issue and opportunity? What are the stakes? Like, what is the and then moment? And then 
inserting this idea or outcome. And when I'm interviewing people, I'm looking for that. I'm looking at this skillful approach, but also talking about your story. Like I happen to know you have two cats. One of them's a kitten. I can actually see that happening. That's a funny story. How crucial is being yourself and not trying to say, well, I was sitting on my $4,500 couch <laughs> and creating a, like like a, a, a beautiful picture of me having a cup of coffee in my big Stanley mug. Like, you know, I'm taking a picture of it. I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to be trendy, but I'm, I'm obviously not doing a good job of it. But how important is it just being you in today's world? You know what? I, I always say our greatest strength is our vulnerability. And I think that, you know, we live in a world where um, we have this thing called reality TV. And we all know it's not reality. It's highly curated. And so what happens, and it's what you were talking about earlier, Dr. Mary, the, the idea that we are all in this place of, of stress and anxiety because we're comparing ourselves to what society tells us we should or could be, and, and Valentine's Day, of course, is, is a really good example of that, where we're, we're told all these messages of how we should show up and who we should be on that particular day. And the reality is that none of us live curated lives. We all live in the moment. You know, cats spill coffee, and, you know, technology lets us down, and, and you know, we, we show up in our pajamas when we were supposed to be, you know, dressed for a video show. Like, yeah. these are things that happen, right? <laughs> Maybe to me, maybe not to everybody, but anyway, um, you know, I think the, 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 it, it is important that we own our own vulnerability, and that is authentic. Authenticity is something that we as humans can detect a mile away. We can we can be looking at somebody or listening to their voice or even seeing the set of their body, and within that, we know whether they're being authentic or whether there's something that's off. Now, we might not know that they're, what it is that's going on. We can't always predict or, or read minds. But what we do know is that there's something that's off, and we don't believe them. So when I'm working with speakers and presenters, what I, what I do is right away I say, like, and I can see it, and, you know, Mary, you and I have done that. I'll, I'll, you know, you'll present something, and I'll say to you, Mary, I don't believe you. You know, and yeah. why? Because there's usually something happening within you that is not quite authentic. Maybe you're, you know, you're you're thinking about what you have to do next, or maybe it's that that piece of research isn't quite finished yet, and you're giving me a piece that is, you know, you're not a hundred percent sure of. We detect these things, and so when we are authentic, it's not just about showing up with all of, you know, our, our great parts, but also our, our not-so-great parts. But it's also about owning what you know and what you don't know. And I talk a lot about thought leadership, and to me, that's one of the biggest differences between what I call an expert and a thought leader. You know, experts are people who have lots of, of facts and data, and they live in the world of, of research and and reality and, you know, all of these words that kind of ground them in something that is, um, is empirically provable. But thought leaders 
take it one step further. They, they are often experts. Like they have that background. And, and Mary, you certainly are that, you know, that thought leader because you're willing to say, and this is the, authentic, the authenticity piece, you're willing to say, you know, I don't actually know the answer to that. Or I'm still working on that piece of research and I've got some interesting findings, but what's actually more interesting are the things that are coming up that I don't know how to explain. That's the difference between being an expert and a thought leader. And it really is that authenticity piece. And that is where story lives. Because when you say, you know, there's interesting piece coming up in my research, you're not going to tell us a little story. And we all lean in. We don't care that you don't know the answer. We actually want to know what you're learning. Because it's not about what you know. It's about why and how you know it. That's the piece that's really interesting. And is that part of a TEDx talk? Like when you train people to do TED Talks or TEDx talk? I know you've done them all. At, I think you also work with Singularity University. You know, is that how you ensure it resonates with a diverse audience? Yeah, I mean, yes, absolutely. When we are ourselves, that lets the audience be themselves. And that's really, really important. You know, when we, like, one of the things that, and of course, we all listen to TED Talks, you know, it's it's pretty much ubiquitous now. Why do we love TED Talks? We love them because they feel like a story. It feels like I'm learning something about that person and I want to lean in and know more. But what that person has done so skillfully is that they've woven together their story, the idea they want you to know about, and the pieces they know and they don't know in such a way that you feel like you've gotten to know that person. And they align with you regardless of whether that person looks exactly like you or looks nothing like you. Now, you're, you're, you know, your, your listeners can't see me, but if you could see me, you'd know that I have blue hair and I am neurodiverse. Now, that those pieces of myself, when I show up fully owning that, those blue-haired neurodiverse people in the audience feel okay about being who they are. But actually, more importantly, all the people who look differently also feel okay to be who they are. So when we are authentically who we are and we show up fully owning all of who we are, with humility, and with full emotional accountability, we allow the audience to do that, and we invite them into our story, and we don't just tell them our story. I love that. And, and um, you know, I'll ask one last question, see if Rich has any questions. I do want to talk a little bit about um, how people engage with you, because I think that's such a wonderful uh, methodology you have. But... What, what do you see? It's 2024. It's, it's, you know, the start of a new year. We're in, we're in the Q1. What trends do you see for shape for what trends do you foresee shaping the future of what you just called narrative communication and storytelling? 
Yeah. So, you know, there's so much happening right now. We are at a nexus point as our, you know, evolution as humans, quite frankly. And we're seeing things moving very, very quickly. And I think one of the biggest things that people are concerned about is the impact of technology and more specifically AI on how we live, how we work and how we interact. And storytelling is one of those things that is so innate in us. I mean, storytelling goes back to, you know, sitting around a a fire living in caves, right? We communicate it by a story and, you know, look at, you know, look at those very early prehistoric cave drawings. What are they? They're stories. And so what is the future of storytelling and how will AI impact it? Well, I'm not afraid of AI. In fact, I embrace it and engage with it often. Why? Because what I see is that as a storyteller, AI is a tool that helps me to grow my own ability to communicate. What it is is doing for us is it's helping us to build that narrative. Now, it can't tell our stories, and it shouldn't, and it won't, because they are our stories. We live. You know, AI is an enabler. It's a tool. So when we look at the future of narrative, what we're going to see are a couple of things. One, more people are going to be stepping into becoming a storyteller because of the impact of artificial intelligence. And two, what we're going to see is more stories coming out of our academics and our scientists and our technologists and our artists because they're now embracing something that, quite frankly, had been trained out of them. Storytelling was one of those things that, unfortunately, there was a belief that it 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 um, didn't support, it actually hurt it, their, their ability as whatever profession they were in. And we're learning now that that's not the case, that we need that. Because what a story does is it, it reconnect emotionally, but it's actually some very solid brain science behind storytelling. In fact, when we tell a story, 60 to 70% of the, of the details that we tell in that story are retained by us. Why? Because what we're doing is we're stimulating multiple cortices within the brain, more specifically, the sensory cortices. Why is that important? Well, because memories are associative. And so when we give a story, when we tell a story, what we're actually doing is creating an association in multiple parts of our brain, which means when we go to remember, it brings in the sensory element. And that's what's key. So the future of storytelling is with building facts and data inside of that story and making sure that your ideas are heard well. I love that. And and Rich, we have like two minutes before we have to close the show and thank okay. Andrea and any other questions. Uh, I just want to say, Andrea, you are incredible. Um, I had a couple oh. of questions in mind as you were um, talking about trying to uh, understanding and seeing how authentic someone can be and um, identifying that. How have you ever come across someone who, um, oh, oh, I hear the music. Oh, dang. <laughs> yeah. Andrea, we need to have you back. Will yes. You come back? Absolutely. Absolutely. I will come back. And, and if anyone thank wants you. to reach out, find me on LinkedIn. Yes. Andrea thank you, Andrea. LinkedIn. Take good care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Bye.